VW Africa Link a fresh political wind is blowing through Liberia as two top contenders prepare for a second round of a hot contest. Here in Bonn, Germany, we are bracing for a cold moment as we catch the unfolding. Hello and welcome to DW's Africa Link show. My name is Josie Mahachi. And uh, Josie Mahachi is with me, Jojo Kachi. This show is coming to you straight from our studios here in Bonn, Germany and also live on our Facebook page. DW Africa. Here is what's coming up. Liberians call for peaceful runoff as George Weah and Joseph Boykai are set for a rematch in the presidential elections. The first round of the election was very peaceful, credible, and free. And going to the second round, I will still go and vote for the second time. Mm-hmm. And still on Liberia, is President George Weah's second term bid at risk? Well, things are play he could when he could lose. Um, it, it depends on what the opposition can do, what they should have done. More is coming up on the show, so stay tuned for the details after the world news in brief. DW News. Welcome to the news. My name is Jen Nyinge. The UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres says he's shocked by what he calls some misinterpretations of his remarks on Hamas. The UN chief says he clearly condemned the terror acts carried out by the militant group on October 7th during an address to the UN Security Council on Tuesday, but that is not how his address is being perceived by some. In the beginning of my intervention, clearly stated, and I quote, I have condemned unequivocally the horrifying and unprecedented 7 October acts of terror by Hamas in Israel. Nothing can justify the deliberate killing, injuring and kidnapping of civilians. And in doing so, I also clearly stated that the grievances of the Palestinian people cannot justify the appalling attacks by Hamas. I believe it was necessary to set the record straight, especially out of respect to the victims and to their families. Israel's ambassador to the UN is calling for the UN chief to resign and suggested that Israel will refuse visas for UN officials. This is after Guterres condemned Israeli airstrikes on Gaza as collective punishment of Palestinians. Russia's parliament has approved its withdrawal from an international treaty banning nuclear tests. President Vladimir Putin had previously warned that his country would cancel its backing of the comprehensive nuclear test ban treaty since it had never been ratified by the United States. There are fears that Russia could now resume nuclear testing. At least 26 people have been killed in a suspected Islamist militant attack in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Officials blamed the massacre on a group with links to the so-called Islamic State. This news is coming to you from DW in Bonn, Germany. The German cabinet has approved a draft bill to speed up deportation of asylum seekers whose applications have been rejected. The government has been under pressure to tighten its asylum rules as the number of refugees has grown in recent months. Rights groups and some within the governing coalition say the measures go too far. Here is the, is the German interior minister, Nancy Faeser. 
In order to protect the fundamental right to asylum, we must significantly limit irregular migration. Those who don't have the right to stay must leave our country. The number of repatriations this year is already around 27% higher than the same period last year. But there is still an urgent need for action. Japan's top court has ruled that a law requiring people to be surgically sterilized in order to officially change their gender is unconstitutional. Rights groups welcomed the ruling as a victory for transgender people. Polls show there is growing support for LGBTQ plus rights in Japan, the only G7 nation where same-sex marriage is still banned. For more news and information, Head on to our website dw.com forward slash Africa. My name is Jen Nyingi. Thanks for sticking with us on the program. Once again, I'm your host, Josie Mahachi. And I'm the co-host, Jojo Kachi. Welcome to our listeners on our Facebook, DW Africa. Remember to comment on the stories that we are covering. Now let's go straight to Liberia where the citizens have expressed confidence that the second round of the presidential elections will be largely peaceful. The West African country is poised for a runoff election between President George Weah and his challenger Joseph Boakai after neither of them garnered more than 50% of the total votes cast. Now this is essential, essentially a rematch I should say Josie between the mm-hmm. two top contenders as they faced each other in 2017 and the Incumbent George Ware, who is also a former international footballer, emerged victorious. Mm-hmm. Now, the runoff is scheduled for November 14th and promises to be a closely contested battle between these two long standing adversaries. Now, this story by our very own Evelyn Pade is being narrated by Okeri Ngushi Nado. Political maneuvering has begun in Liberia as the ruling party, the Coalition for Democratic Change, CDC, and the main opposition party for unity, UP, head for a runoff. Both parties are likely to intensify their efforts to forge alliances to secure an outright victory in the second round. The October 10th poll was the closest presidential contest in Liberia since the civil war ended approximately two decades ago. Liberians who turned out in large numbers to vote in the first round hope that no major incidences will be recorded during the runoff. We spoke to some of them. For me, I really appreciate the commissioners. They did their best, and uh, I would like to say a big thank you to them also because they did well. And everybody accepted the result. No noise, like what you say on the normal city. No violence, and with all that, I will still go and vote for the second time. The first round of the election was very peaceful, credible, and free. And going to the second round, everyone will be looking at the victory, let's say at the final analysis. But the campaign, I also hold on to all of us, all Liberians, to be peaceful, to go to the process. My thought for the first round is that I should appreciate Liberian people for a job well done. With all other conditions which I appreciate for the first round, Liberians will still go to the pool to vote their leader. Additionally, Liberia's civil rights group have urged the country's electoral body, the NEC, to maintain the integrity of the electoral process during the second round. Augustine Aqui, the head of the Better Future Foundation, further urges the commissions to consider the recommendations made by various observer missions to improve the process. From a civil society perspective, the aspect that needs to be improved is uh, to make sure that the pooling activities will be friendly and embracing. There need to be security presence to establish an order 
and procedures so that people can go and vote. Many of the places there were overcrowdedness, you know, people overstaying, and it create problem. Voter suffocation. This thing really happened. First elected six years ago after defeating Boakai in a runoff, Weya remains popular among many young people. However, some are disappointed with his first term, accusing him of breaking numerous promises. Living conditions have not improved for many of the nation's poorest, and corruption has increased. The United States has imposed sanctions on five senior Liberian officials for corruption in the past three years. Boakai, a prominent figure in national politics for nearly four decades, has promised to restore the country's image, develop infrastructure and improve the lives of the most disadvantaged. He has also formed alliances with local figures, including former warlord and senator Prince Johnson, who supported Weya in the last election and remains influential in the key county of Nimba. Boakai had a strong showing in the county this year, as well as in Lofa County, his hometown. Thanks, Okeri Ngochinado, for narrating that report by Evelyn Paddy. Now, in Liberia's high-stakes runoff, voter turnout and regional demographics are poised to be the game changers. George Weah and Joseph Boakai must rally their respective strongholds to make their mark. But, Josie, can they recreate the voter enthusiasm of the first round? That is the biggest million-dollar question there, George. Analysts says, and they have a lot of doubts about that, uh, some believe that the incumbent might ride, is, uh, ride on his first-round victory to a second term, while others argue Boakai could turn the tide. But is President Weah's second term in jeopardy? That is the first question I earlier on placed on John Colley, a member of a Liberian Democratic think tank. Well, things are play he could when he could lose. Um, it, it depends on what the opposition can do, what they should have done, uh, what will they do in this election. It's been a, a tough first round election uh, because there's been a lot of accusations about him and his government involvement in corruption. But he's made it to the second round, to the runoff, and has an edge over the opposition. But the edge is so slight, John. And, and you've mentioned possibility of the opposition uniting. Is this even possible in the remaining uh, short period of time? There are frantic efforts on both sides in trying to get... Um, uh, the people who ran in these elections, there were 20 um, candidates for the president. So that's a fight over who goes to who in this runoff. The opposition unity party of former president Joseph Boakai is making all the efforts to get as many uh, opposition political parties to join him. George Weir is equally making similar efforts to try and get some of these people to join him. But it will be left largely with the people in the field, which means the voters themselves. So this is a difficult election indeed. It can break anywhere. It can break anywhere indeed. But what will be the game changer in your own observation? Talk to say, Liberia is an African country, hugely ethnically divided. And I can see the political parties, the two groups now, thriving on such ground. Opposition leader Joseph Boaka has to fight for his home county. He didn't get the kind of vote he needed to get to match up with the huge votes that came from the northeast in Nimba County of those who supported him and get good bit of the votes there. Who knows? He might just make it on top against George Weir. The other one is that George Weir is from the southeast of Liberia, 
which uh, is known to give him a maximum vote, which he got in the last election. Well, John, Liberians turned out in large numbers uh, in the first round of the vote. And I'm sure the two presidential candidates will be keen to maintain this uh, turnout. Is this going to be possible in the second round? Liberia has an interesting situation with people trucking, meaning people leaving from place to place, getting trucked by politicians and go vote for them in localities where they don't live. And in the runoff, uh, with all these legislators uh, having gotten their results, some winning, some losing, you definitely cannot get these people to go back to vote. And the law here says that you must vote in an area where you register. So if you can't get as much resources to get people back into places where they voted in the first round, that will be a, a game changer in a sense here. So that's that makes it a little difficult a situation to analyze exactly what could happen in this election. John, the ruling party seems to have done okay in the legislative elections results. Do you think uh, George Ware is likely to capitalize on this? That is not dependable in terms of what can change the game. This is a demographically difficult situation. So one can only watch out for who will be able to if you will run around with people allowed in the short time, it's a population game at this point, which is that you must get people to places where they voted in the first round. If you cannot, it will be a difficult situation. So complicated, you can only watch and see. Indeed, we can only watch and see. And many thanks, John Colley. Colley is a member of Liberia's Media for Democratic Initiatives, Think tank and josie we have comments on that streaming in streaming in from everywhere in the world not just from liberia (laughs) i mean because the 10th october poll was the tightest presidential contest in liberia since the civil war ended about two decades ago and feta ken says this means there was no rigging skinny that is how you call yourself bangura we should be having a runoff election in Sierra Leone, but it was rigged in favor of the ruling government. And Banin forces African, the opposition leader is old already, even though Mr. Weir was incompetent. Pawns for pawns, you're saying Weir has failed hands. I hope he is kicked out. And Henry Tangwa says, I see true democracy being practiced in Liberia. I hail Mr. Weir for allowing democracy to prevail by not coping forceful winning via elections rigging practiced in the Central Africa sub-region. Pray I live to witness this in Cameroon. That's mm. someone from Cameroon. Mm-hmm, as he continues praying. And mm. Frederick Odirige, you saying it means that Weir did not work well. A president that performed well does not struggle with re-election. Okay, thank you so much for those comments. Remember, you can keep them coming on our Facebook page, DW Africa. This is Africa Link. Thanks for staying with us. And in case you're just joining us, this is DW's Africa Link. I'm your host, Josie Mahachi. And seated next to Josie Mahachi and precisely on the right is George Okachi. Welcome to all of you listening to us on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Now, still to come on the show, we hear why Kenyans are angry over the government's new finance law on en- earnings rather, of influencers and content creators. I mean, the government is not doing right by taxing small earnings from someone's creativity. You can imagine when you're just starting out as a content creator, you're buying equipment from your savings, you're trying to tell stories. 
This is a pertinent concern, but before we get to that uh, topic of conversation, we go back to Democratic Republic of Congo, Goma, in the capital of North Kivu province, where the price of fuel, Josie, is mm. taking its toll on local entrepreneurs. Now, several entrepreneurs claim that their businesses are now in jeopardy, and even with public transport, motorcycle cabs, and bus drivers are reporting an alarming situation. Zaneb Neti Zahidi, our reporter in the Eastern DRC, has more details. Socioeconomic activities have been paralyzed in Goma due to a strike called by the North Kivu Petroleum Association. On the roads, public transport, buses, and motorcycle cabs were in short supply, and the few that were in circulation raised their prices. Itimana Fiston, a motorcycle rider, explains. We had nowhere to get fuel. Those who had fuel in their motorcycles watched helplessly as the fuel ran out and started pushing their bikes. We need the government's help to see how we can get things back to normal. At present, the strike is already half over, but the price of fuel has risen. One liter, which used to cost between 2,500 and 3,000 Congolese francs, which is about 1.17 US dollars, is now trading at between 4,000 and 5,000 Congolese francs, which is about 2 US dollars. Joseph Barani is a young entrepreneur and owner of a public secretariat. He explains that since the increase in the price of fuel, his business has become almost unfruitful. I don't know how I am going to pay my agents, given that we are approaching the end of the month. The price of fuel has already gone up, so I don't know how to go about it because I'm having difficulties. How can I pay my agents when the price of fuel is going up? We are even finding it hard to work, and then there are our primary needs like at home and everything else. So as long as the price of fuel goes up, the economy will be worse off. Following the increase in the price of fuel at the pump in the city of Goma, the situation affects almost all sectors of economic life. Professor Dadi Saleh, a specialist in economic issues, fears a paralysis of economic activities. The price of fuel has risen from 1,000 to 2,000 Congolese francs. That's about 2 US dollars. And food prices are likely to rise too. So, if the strike doesn't end, everything is likely to come to a standstill and life will be very difficult. In the town of Goma, oil workers went on strike for three days. Among the reasons for the strike was a demand for a reduction in the tax to be paid at customs when their products enter the Democratic Republic of Congo. The pumps have now reopened, but the price have been revised upwards. Thanks, Zaneb Neti Zaidi, for that report. Just to acknowledge a few people that are commenting on our Facebook Live right now, George. I see uh, Rosine Pascal Oona listening to us from Bamenda, Cameroon. 
Do you see somebody? I see Dua yeah. Cruz also. Yeah, but, but Josie, I have a question. Mm. Where did Lambert go? Lambert Kevin. Is here. <laughs> <laughs> Lambert, where are you? I'm not he's seeing here, you anywhere. Yeah, he's here, he's here. All right, much you appreciated. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> now we dive into a story that's been causing quite a buzz in Kenya and around the digital world. It's all about the impact of a new finance law on influencers and content creators in the country. Now, just to bring our listener up to speed, Kenya has expanded its tax net to include this growing sector. And it's sparking a lot of discussion. To get the full scoop on this, our correspondent Andrew Wasike in Nairobi, Kenya, talked to influencers and content creators. Take a listen. Creatives who use social media and other web applications like YouTube are a worried lot in Kenya as the new finance law has ruffled quite a few feathers, especially among Kenya-based content creators and influencers. The government has proposed a 15% withholding tax on income generated from digital content monetization. President William Ruto says the committee is working to achieve the goal. I know that there is a proposal in, the, in, in this year's budget on uh, digital content and creators are uh, making a statement. I have told the ICT uh, committee and the finance committee to work on it. Uh, Let's give them a bit more space. Just after saying this, Ruto reiterated that all digital creatives will have to pay tax. Content creators are increasingly concerned about the proposed tax measures affecting their budding industry. I spoke to several of them who are growing increasingly anxious about the tax measures. Samantha Dedra, who has more than 800,000 followers on TikTok, says it is not fair. I mean, the government is not doing right by taxing small earnings from someone's creativity. You can imagine when you're just starting out as a content creator, you're buying equipment from your savings, you're trying to tell stories using your online platform, then you have to be billed or taxed just because the government is looking at it as an opportunity to make extra money. I think they should review the Finance Act because a lot of people will be suffering, especially creators, and it will make it hard for us to even get jobs that are going to sustain us while we are young. Diana Nikita, another creative with 395,000 followers, shares the same sentiments. So according to me, I don't think that the government is being fair uh, for introducing the new finance bill. Uh, because in Kenya currently we do not have jobs, that's one. And even to go out there and create content, you'll need uh, money. Uh, so I don't think that they're being fair, for one. And um, currently everything is being taxed in Kenya. The economy is not doing so well. There's no money, there's no cash flow. Yeah, I don't think it's fair. Indeed, this is causing quite a stir among the content creation community. But some experts believe it might help Kenya broaden its tax base. The creator economy in Africa is booming, with young individuals utilizing platforms like Instagram, YouTube and TikTok to advertise products and earn a living. Marco Tieno, a digital entertainment strategist and consultant, told me that it will increase the revenue for the government, but a 15% tax will have a profound impact impact, particularly on emerging content creators. Otieno emphasized that those with significant followings who flaunt their earnings on social media are now on the tax month's radar as the government seeks to broaden its revenue sources. They're taking the word of those guys who go on YouTube and say we make 5 million per month and they're saying, hey, so you guys make 5 million? Did you guys know that only 86 Kenyans make over 100,000 and above. 
That is how poor people are in this country. So when someone says that, for example, I'm, I'm, I'm making 300,000 per, per month from my YouTube, they feel, aye, okay, you need to be paying tax kama MP. Wewe. It is the lower ones who it will mean a lot to them. Others who are well established have argued that they do not have a problem with paying taxes. But their issue here is that the government has not yet created an environment that truly supports the digital economy. Felix Odiwo Kode, more popularly known as Jalango, is a Kenyan politician who is the current member of parliament for the Langata constituency of Nairobi. He has tried to urge members of parliament to back him up to stop the law, but the influencers and content creators are not making his work. Easy. How do I convince the government or the people who do not understand content creation that you don't have money and you are not able to pay the 15% tax when what you show out there is that you are millionaires? Many voices here in Kenya are saying that the government should first focus on fostering a supportive environment for content creators before diving into taxation. It is a complex issue and as the digital landscape evolves, it raises questions about how governments can adapt to keep up with the times. Andrew Wasike from Kenya's capital, Nairobi. Many thanks for that, Andrew. And uh, straight to your comments, Rosalind Pascal Owono is saying, content creation is a very lucrative industry and they should pay their fair share. It is unfair for you to want to earn and not pay back into the system. And Kofi Otabil says most African governments are planning the same kind of taxes, verifying best practices outside Africa will be appropriate. Well, uh, another Elvis one. Elvis Manika, yeah, yeah, says it it's is, a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> a good <laughs> right. idea, only if the taxes are used to improve the country and provide all citizens with basic services at the very least. Thank you so much for those comments. You can keep them coming on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Now, today on Showbiz, my favorite segment, we hear about seaweed. Mm-hmm. George, when you hear seaweed, what comes to your mind? Mm. Not weed, seaweed. <laughs> 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 Must you emphasize, Josie? I'm just saying. You asked me a question, wait for okay, me to answer. Okay, answer. So I can only think of fertilizers and soil conditioners. And, and there is a long history of coastal people using seaweeds, especially the large brown seaweeds, to fertilize their mm. neighbor nearby land. Okay, yeah. good. Okay, now interesting. But today we go to Zanzibar, where the use of seaweed is quite common. The mamas of Mwani stand out from the rest of the farmers tending to their harvest. Seaweed's foray into the beauty industry is opening new horizons. Here is a report by DW's Afrimax. The mamas of Zanzibar are on a mission. They want to turn seaweed into skincare products. In our society, we have always used seaweed for many different things like making soap, body scrubs, juice, salad, and even lotion. Using seaweed is quite common in Zanzibar, but these women stand out from the rest of the farmers tending to their harvest. The seaweed's foray into the beauty industry is a noteworthy venture. Mwani, which means seaweed in Swahili, is the name of a macro algae and plant-based skincare under the full name Mwani Zanzibar. The seaweed is sourced from the Indian Ocean and the production process is only done by the mamas of Zanzibar. Seaweed does not have true roots for support like other plants. So first, we use a rope to anchor the seaweed in the water. 
We use the traditional line method of farming. When that is done, we use sticks to plant them by tying them firmly in the water. Then we leave them for two months, after which they are ready for harvest. Seaweed is useful for treating diabetes and high blood pressure, especially for expectant mothers and small children as well. Most seaweed farmers around Zanzibar have resorted to unsustainable farming practices such as cutting mangrove trees for seaweed stakes and clearing seagrass beds to expand seaweed farms so as to increase yields and income. The mamas of Zanzibar, however, are quite different. When it comes to the environment, we are very intentional about preservation. We are all about sustainability. Instead of burning waste, we separate, store, and dispatch recyclable materials to recycling centers. We also convert biodegradable waste into fertilizer. Skincare has a total of 50 women working for the company. Their production center is located just moments away from Paja Beach on the east coast of Unguja, the main island of Zanzibar. After harvesting, the mamas of Zanzibar take their harvest to be dried. We dry them so that we can turn the seaweed into a powder or granules or extracts, depending on the product we wish to make. Their soaps, oils and butters are also made with herbs and spices sourced from around the center's gardens and across Africa. That piece is a production from DW's Afrimax. And if you want to watch more on this, you can find it on our website. That is dw.com forward slash Afrimax. Thank you so much. So before we go, because unfortunately time is not on our side, I just want to acknowledge people that have been joining us, keeping us company on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Java Chomba says, great show. Thanks, Josie and George. You're listening in from Bonn. Rosine, you're commenting on all the stories that we're covering today. Sylvester Sene, we appreciate you. Binta from our Aousa department is also in the house. Amaka. Thank you so much for joining us on our live show today. Unfortunately, we have to love and leave you. My name is Josie Mahachi. And I am George Okachi. DW. Made for Minds.